Our sponsor for the podcast, Ahrefs, has an awesome set of tools that have become an industry standard for just about every SEO out there. For instance, if you're not getting any real significant search traffic, Ahrefs has tools that can help you find topics worth creating pages or content on. You can easily see the estimated search volumes and gauge traffic potential with their keyword explorer tool, and that can help you create content that would drive more search traffic. Our sponsor for the show is Optio, who makes managing Google Ads accounts simple and efficient. It automates time-consuming manual tasks so you can spend more time on strategic and creative work. Whether you work at an agency with a large number of accounts or you're a freelancer responsible for a smaller portfolio, Optio can save you time and make life that little bit easier. To learn more and get a six-week free trial of Optio, go to optio.com slash S-E-J. That's O-P-T-E-O dot com slash S-E-J. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Search Engine Journal Show. I'm your host, Brent Satoris, and today I'm joined by Susan Wenograd, who's the Chief Marketing Officer at AimClear, and we're going to be talking about how to incorporate and understand paid advertising beyond the conversion. I hope you enjoy the show. Hey, Susan, thanks for joining the show. Thanks for having me here. Oh, it's it's great. Like uh, one of the things that's recently happened that, that I was really excited about um, is the fact that you've recently actually started writing as our paid media reporter at Search Engine Journal, um, and you're actually going to be speaking um, at our upcoming SCJE Summit on June 2nd. So both of those things have like definitely been exciting. But I've actually been working even before that to kind of set up a time when me and you could jump on and talk. So I'm really excited to have you on the show. I'm excited to be here too. There's so much to talk about too. <laughs> Absolutely, right? And so diving into kind of like a topic matter that obviously is near and dear to your heart uh, with paid advertisement, right? Uh, I, I, I know that so often when we think about paid, and this is actually something that I've criticized paid for by setting a standard that everything in marketing is about a conversion, right? It all comes down to where I spent a dollar, I made $10. I got my conversion, right? Right. <laughs> um, and, and I think that, you know, that's pretty much a, a big chunk of what people look at when they look at, you know, um, paid advertisement is about that conversion. But Obviously, in everything we do in marketing, there's more to the story, especially if you're a savvy marketer, there's a lot more to the story. And so I wanted to talk a little bit today about how do you incorporate and how do you better understand paid advertisement beyond the conversion? And I thought you would be the perfect person to really fill this conversation. Um, and so I'm excited to have you here. But I wanted to start it off by asking for, for the listeners and for myself, can you talk a little bit about what it is? you know, to, to look beyond the conversion, what actually is there beyond the conversion to actually look at and, and find value in? Yeah, absolutely. So it's kind of funny when you said, you know, pushing back on paid media people and how they would just focus on the conversion, because I see that happen a lot within channels as well. So because we all started pretty much with paid search, and that's such a bottom of funnel tactic, we've just been conditioned to evaluate everything that way. And so even amongst the channels themselves, there's been that push and pull about how do we evaluate these channels? And the fact of the matter is the targeting that's available in a lot of them exists specifically to not necessarily 
be at that conversion point. So when you're thinking about the channels that you're working with, just like you're really thinking about anything else in your full marketing stack, you have to evaluate them on their own merits. So if you're running something on Facebook, yes, you'll you'll probably get conversions from it, especially if you have it set up to optimize that way. But you're also probably reaching a lot of people that might not buy now, but they're still, you know, in the future, a good audience for you. Um, and you'll still find a lot of brands and advertisers that will look at it and say, well, you know, Facebook doesn't do as well as Google search or it doesn't do as well as this or it does better than that. And it's comparing apples to oranges. They're, a lot of times they're not meant to do the same thing. The users are not at the same process um, and they're not in the same process as far as how close they are to buying or where they are in awareness. So there's kind of this, you know, ongoing continuum of where people are as far as if they need what you sell, if they understand what you sell, if they can afford what you have, they're all along this continuum. And so to go in and say, we're just spending this money to get these conversions is pretty short-sighted. Well, um, it, it also kind of lines into, like I always used to tell people, I'm like, look, the majority of ad dollars, and that might be different now because this was 10 years ago when I was saying this, but I would say the majority of ad dollars doesn't have a conversion on it. Like when yep. you see a billboard with Nike, when you see a commercial, where do you buy now? Like exactly. there is no buy now. There, 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 so much of marketing is is long-term conditioning yeah. and, and, and influence and and. And so to, to say that it all comes down to one point and you don't care about anything else just just felt so disconnected from everything we had come to learn in marketing. Yeah. And, and you're really seeing it too, kind of. And this was happening even before, you know, COVID-19. But one of the things that we had really seen heavily, especially the past two years, was how difficult it was getting from like a direct to consumer perspective to get people to convert the way they used to. So mm -hmm. especially we saw this really big on Facebook and definitely in some pockets on Google where there was so much reliance on just it being like you said, it was the magic money machine is what I always call it. Where it's like, well, I put in two bucks and so I have to make 10. Exactly. And the thing is, that's that's not a sustainable marketing strategy. It's not how you're going to grow your brand. And so the short sightedness of that, I think, is, you know, finally was kind of coming home to roost where people were realizing, you know, there is value in something like a billboard. There is value in television commercials. But everyone thought that because you couldn't draw a straight line from point A to point V, they just had no value. And so, you know, you, you remind me of the like, you, you remind me of like the, the exact example I always come back to is the billboard wars. Where yep. somebody, one brand puts up one billboard and another one puts another one right next to oh, it that yeah. counters it. And they and then all of a sudden, that's all over the internet, right? Every Absolutely. picture, all over Twitter, all over social. It's like, you know, there's the, the buzz marketing gets to be so powerful, right? Yep. So that's yep. a, just a, one example that always comes to mind when I think about billboards. Yeah, and it's and, and I think a lot of advertisers kind of forget that. The, the competition thing is a lot more obvious in paid search. In paid social, um, it, it's it's a little different just from how I've seen brands and advertisers react. They kind of just operate a little more myopically about it where they're just like, well, you know, I always used to get a 500% return and now I'm not and what's going on. And so I had worked with a, a large brand that spent, um, you know, six figures a month and it was direct to consumer, but they were in a competitive industry. They weren't the cheapest and they were you know, continually frustrated that their results were so much easier a year before. So the other thing that happens too, is that because you're just focusing on people that are likely to buy or likely to convert, 
you're not building your pipeline. So you, you become solely reliant on people that are at the buying stage and you're not actually creating any demand or creating any brand awareness so that you're top of mind when that happens. And it seems like it should be marketing 101, right? It's kind of like if you take any marketing course, you know, you have these stages to purchase. But with paid, because everyone was so conditioned to looking at the data and saying, okay, when I put money here, this is how much I make, everyone just kind of forgot about how to market and no one wanted to spend the money on things that they didn't feel was driving a direct conversion. No one wanted to look at things like incremental lift or incremental brand search. No one wanted to look at that stuff because they didn't have to. So what's become interesting now is I, I do feel like there is this shift that's occurring where people are realizing that they or the smart brands and advertisers anyway are realizing that that's not they're not building a brand when they do that. You know, it's like the mm -hmm. second they stop spending money, they have no sales. You don't own a brand if that happens. Like you really don't have much of a business, right? Well, I think that the other aspect you really have to consider is, is, is storytelling, right? I mean, yeah. I, I, people forget that like essentially there is a storytelling process which drives the influence and sales of almost everything. And, and, and if you're really stuck in, in a time period that storytells and it's 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 you know what the example is for me always it's what those people that still wanted to use their website to create an online catalog right they just yeah. wanted pdfs of online catalogs yes. or the the, <laughs> the yellow pages it's like your yes people do use yellow pages to open it up and look for a phone number if they ever could find one or see one ever in their life again because they're all yep. gone, right? And so I think that's what all happens a lot of times um, with, with, you know, over the last, I'd say probably three or four years specifically with paid is that we've seen this transition from SEO, from paid, from everything because storytelling has shifted mm -hmm. uh, significantly. And, and where brands are really kind of shining is where they're understanding where that storytelling goes. And, and I, I'm guessing that like paid search isn't gone. It's just that paid search and, and especially a lot of the paid search I've been involved with lately hasn't been about a conversion. It's been about continuing that storytelling. Yeah. And, and Google really has made, you know, nods and strides toward that with the in-market audiences that you can, you know, add as layers to your search campaigns and bid on them differently. Um, you know, they've definitely pivoted more. They've had all this data for a while and the, the effectiveness of some of it was hit or miss, but I feel like, you know, ever since we've been able to have these audience layers and kind of use the stuff that we traditionally would use in display to apply it to search, they really started doing a better job of integrating that behavioral piece um, to supplement what you're doing. So it's not just all about the search, but it does start accounting for those things of who are these people? Where are they in their journey? What do they care about? Because that's the other piece is that even though people might search for the same words, it doesn't mean that they need the same things. So those nuances were also missing. And it's it's been interesting to see those things get added over time as, um, you know, additional, I don't know what you want to call them, I guess, factors as far as bidding and targeting is concerned, mm -hmm. as they've moved more towards trying to automate other things. So when you look at what these platforms are trying to automate, they are trying to automate the finding the conversion piece for you. I mean, I've I've had Facebook ads that I have run with no targeting where I'm like, just go optimize for this conversion. And it does 10 times better than trying to be super granular into who you're targeting and what you're saying. So to your point, I feel like they've given us 
more tools for us to do the storytelling part and they want us messing around less with trying to drill down into the conversion game because ultimately they believe that their AI can do that part better. So let me let me drive you down a certain path right now because you know what we've talked about is is something that philosophically is extremely sound. We both know this, you know, with our our depth in marketing and kind of our access to a lot of like trends and stuff like that. But where this takes us is away from a very simple setup, right? Yes. And and that's what Google has kind of solved over the years and people complained about is like, well, why would you have paid people? Like Google will set up your account for you and it you know, and there, and, and and it doesn't always work that great because there's uh, functions, right? We've we've seen so many things change with Google trying to push people to make certain decisions and 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 scores kind of and I won't even diatribe into some of the the questionable practices that have kind of come into play with that. But what I will say is that it's no longer as easy as somebody that's listening to this, you know, right now and going, I'm with you. We need to tell our story. We need to move storytelling along. We need to inspire people. We need to, you know, hit a broader market. But how do we do that um, is a whole nother challenge, right? Where I could go in and I could grab from tools some keywords about a product I'm selling and I can run that. I can, I can run that. I can run a couple ads. I can use SpyFu. I can, I can, patch mail that together relatively quickly, right? But mm -hmm. what do I have to do? How do I have to approach paid advertising if conversion is not what I'm going for? Like, how, how do you tell somebody to kind of mentally prepare and start going down that path? Yeah, that's and that is still usually the most difficult part, um, especially for things that have longer sales cycles. Um, a lot of times those the, the higher value product you're selling, the higher money you're going to have to pay to move that person along the purchase path. So that's kind of where those conversations about goals that have to do with behavior on your site or other behaviors or micro conversions that people can do along the way become more important because you sort of want users to self-select into being in the group that you know you want to be targeting, if that makes sense. So for mm -hmm. example, if you do something like a white paper download or a case study or you know a checklist giveaway or whatever those things are, those are not ultimately the conversion you're looking for, but they're signals that you're reaching the right people. I mean, if, sure. you, if you spend you know money and you know drive 2,000 people to a landing page and no one downloads anything, then you know, okay, this is probably not the people that I really want to be reaching. So it becomes about thinking backwards through what are just ways, I always call it getting people to raise their hand to be like, yes, I am the person you're looking for, because it's not always going to be in terms of just a purchase. And something like, you know, LinkedIn is a really good example of that, especially when you get into these high value, but also high dollar stakes. There have been so many brands that I've worked with that, you know, especially in B2B where that really is like that LinkedIn has that targeting that they need, but they, you know, they say it's really expensive and we tried it and nothing happened. And a lot of times what winds up happening is, you know, they're driving them to a, a software product that's thousands of dollars and they're like, well, no one signed up. So you're trying to go from zero to 60 way too quickly. So that's when you have to have those kind of conversations about, you know, look, there are if you look in Salesforce or whatever it is you're using, there's probably an average number of times that someone is contacted or visits your sites or whatever it is they do before they even become a prospect, let alone someone that's going to buy. So you can't hold paid platforms responsible for things that they can't possibly do because it doesn't happen anywhere else in your business. So it, it's kind of like what you were saying before. There's this like weird expectation <laughs> that all marketing rules don't apply to paid and they should just sell things. Um, 
And so, you know, one of the things that I try and work with customers on is getting into this mindset that it's not about just getting them to click and to buy right away. At this point, there are so many audiences, there's so many ways to target people, you need to start just creating buckets of audiences that you can continue to talk to. So for me, I don't want to just run everywhere forever and hope I get sales off of it. I want to kind of carve off all the people that aren't really the people I'm looking for and then just focus on those with the rest of my spend. So in the LinkedIn example, if you're spending, you know, 16, 20 something, 30 something dollars a click given their prices, you don't want to be that brand that's like, well, we spent that money and nothing happened. Nine times out of 10, when I look at the strategy, there was no strategy other than to just drive them to the site. Or they, you know, they're like, we got all these white paper downloads and then nothing happened. Because it's not about the paid media doing all that for you, right? So, there has to be something that happens after that. If you're spending that much money, you are buying an audience, right? You're bu- you have to look at it as though you are buying that audience so you can continue to market to them. But so many companies don't do that. And it, it makes sense when you, when, you, when you say it. It's like, look, you know, you're, you're these paths, we know them from sale, you know, psychological sales analysis over years. We know that there's, you know, and people can debate it's six touch points, seven touch points, 13 <laughs> yeah. touch There's multiple touch points. Like, let's just say it as that. There's, there's multiple touch points that are, are really, you know, impactful in increasing your likelihood of having somebody buy your product, right? And yep. so uh, it, it makes sense that you'd want to kind of step through that. How do people approach that though? Let's go a little more granular. Let's say, what do I do to kind of determine that? Do I need to sit down and storyboard out my customers and my product and put a life cycle and really kind of look at how do people use my product and where do they first hear about it and really walk through it and then try to look at it? I mean, do you get into those kind of storyboarding type scenarios where you really start kind of diving into like what what is a key factor in this phase and what's a key factor in the next phase and how can I determine who's in the right phase or who's in the wrong phase? Is, is it work like that? Or how would somebody approach like really determining what these, these phases are? So it's a great question. So it's kind of like that to a point. And typically what we're looking at is what are the patterns of behavior that we see? So a lot of times, especially if it's, if it's something larger, if it's like B2B where you have a sales team, us understanding what are the, the factors that affect their decision making Um, Where do they tend to get confused? Where do they tend to have roadblocks? It's it's important for us to understand where those things exist. And then even if you're doing something that's a simpler product B2C, looking at the the site behavior is often pretty enlightening too. Um, If you look at things like, you know, the time lag report for e-commerce of just how long and how many times do they visit the site before they even buy, things like that can really help you get smart with how you how you continue to remarket and how how long you bother to do so um so a lot of times there's stuff that you can really glean from site behavior from what pages they're looking at um, the types of remarketing messages that they do respond to that you see good results with a lot of that can give you indicators as far as what are the things that are holding people back that get them to move further um, looking at things like, you know, if it is an, an email nurture sequence that you're starting with, what does the lead quality look like? So if we get, you know, a bunch of downloads on something and they go into a drip sequence and they never open another email, that's probably not a paid media problem. That's probably an offering problem, right? So 
looking at kind of those paths where they come in and what they wind up doing can tell you a lot about the quality of what you have, um, how effective the follow-up is, because a lot of times it's going to be the follow-up that's going to eventually close the deal on that as well. And to clarify, you're not even talking about just like, we're talking, this is almost like two overlapping elements, right? So as a listener, like I would say to myself, okay, so I need to understand the life cycle of my customer. I need to understand what's their pain points, what they're looking for, what what's going to satisfy them, like how long they take to make that decision, what are the yep. factors that make that decision. But ultimately, I also as a company need to understand how are people actually finding me? Like what is my channel, right? You yep. know, for you know because I guess you know you wouldn't necessarily try to do all of this. You wouldn't try to like launch from scratch a, an email, a social media, you know, a banner. You know, I mean it would seem like it would be a little uh, hard to determine the effective things, right? So you'd want to yes. like approach it from a standpoint, would you say it's more important initially to understand um, your channel, your effective channels for getting in front of your audience versus like the cycle in their buying process that you're actually hitting them? Or do you kind of need to marry? Them? I mean, is there one that comes before the other or they both kind of happen at the same time? So it, 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 varies greatly depending on what you're selling. Um, but one of the things that I usually tell clients is you want to start with the low hanging fruit first. So we, we may start with paid search because it's just, it's an easy win because we know that those are people that are specifically looking for what you offer. But even with paid search, one of the things that I see places not do effectively is use the data that comes from that. And I'll give you an example. So you might be running paid search forever, and when you do that, there's there are, you know, parameters and, and UTMs and things like that that are appended onto the URL. What I will see happen is they will go to launch Facebook ads and they don't think about how to use all of that data they already have. So in the example of paid search, if someone clicks through on a paid search ad, the URL gets appended with something called the Google Click ID. And um, it's you know, it's shortened to be GCLID and it, it shows it just fires briefly. It's not something the user even notices. But if you go into Facebook and you create a custom audience where you say, hey, I want anybody that had a, a Google Click ID in their URL to be put in a bucket, it's going to bucket all your paid search users and then you can create lookalike audiences off that. So there is, you know, the, the bottom of funnel data can be useful as you go higher funnel with things. But I see so many brands that don't, cross-reference their channels that way. LinkedIn is the same way, um, where if you you know say, all right, we're just going to bite the bullet and put 5K towards buying the people we know we need because we sell a very specific product to a very specific business type, and we'll spend $5,000 driving the traffic, well, you're going to have those UTM tracked, right? So at that point, now you can create audiences, and they can be a layer in your paid search that you can bet up on. You can pull them into Facebook. So there's there's all these ways that, to your point, you don't have to start with all of it, but start with the lowest hanging fruit first, but then make sure that you use that data for something. Because so many places, because of this hang up about conversion, they will run it and say, well, we spent $5,000 and nothing happened. No, you might not have had any purchases, but you have 5,000 visits worth of data now that you can use someplace else. So, so, so if, I'm, if I'm a business and I'm looking at this and I'm listening to this and I'm thinking, hey, this is something I want to start doing. We've, mm -hmm. we've talked about a couple angles of, of mentally approaching it and kind of laying things out and looking at it strategically, which I think is super responsible and the smart way to do it. Even if you don't, I always tell people, even if you don't do it well, do it. 
Yes, you know, exactly. like, do, something. You know, do something, like put something down on paper, even if you don't follow it, at least you logically put it together and it's in your brain. Right. Yep. But but for a lot of people, like it's really tough to determine what area is the right area for them. Mm-hmm. How would I as a company determine whether email marketing is good for my audience or social media or is Instagram better than Facebook or mm-hmm. it, 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 are there tools out there? Are there studies out there that can kind of guide you towards what in your industry or what in your business cycle is going to be that low hanging fruit? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, paid search is kind of universally the low hanging fruit, regardless of what industry you're in, in most cases. I mean, if you're, if you're a disruptor like when uber came out like rideshare wasn't even a word right so (laughs) there are some things that there's not going to be search volume for because they they're they're a new offering but if it's something where it it's something that exists there are definitely um things like you know e-marketer they have great content on that statista has some really good um graphs about what are the demographics like? So a lot of times, which the things that you really need to know, you know, is the age group, because that's going to make a great big difference on paid social. Um, you know, if you sell something to 50 year old men, you're not going to want to run ads on TikTok. <laughs> so a lot of times the um, just the the demographics alone is going to help you figure out where you should start first. Um, and I usually tell people, you know, I'd rather you if you have a smaller budget, and you're just starting look at what the demographics are and your options for those on each platform and go with the one that's going to get you the most data. So if you're targeting, you know, 50 year old women or older, you're probably going to want to hang out on Facebook and Instagram, maybe Pinterest, depending on, you know, what it is you're selling, but go where the people are first. And that's going to get you the data faster. It's, it's worse when you try and do everything at once. So if you're trying to do, if you have a, you know, $5,000 a month budget and you're trying to do Google and you're trying to do YouTube, and you're trying to do Facebook, and Instagram, and Pinterest, and Twitter, or whatever, it's going to take you so long, it's like you said before, to figure out what is actually working, because the data is going to be so small, it's going to take you so long to rack it up, that you're better off, you know, starting with something that you know for sure, like paid search, which, like I said, it's going to apply to most places, you can start there, but as you start looking higher up in the funnel, with paid social or things of that nature, that's where understanding that customer persona gets more important. I mean, you're not going to find B2B data anywhere like you will for LinkedIn. You just won't. So there's, you know, a lot of it's just kind of, if you look up the demographics, there's a bunch of, you know, even Facebook discloses a lot of it as far as who's on Instagram versus who's on Facebook. How long are they on it for? What do they do when they're on there? So understanding that and just aligning it with what you know about your audience is probably the best place to start. And then I would throw in one thing for anybody listening as well is that, uh, and this happens a lot, is that like, let's say you have three areas that are really effective for your age group equally, or, you know, at least close enough, like pick something that you already have people that understand it. A lot of times people will be like, I have five people on Facebook, but I'm going to, we're going to go do Twitter and not a single person's on Twitter. Um, when, (laughs) when you have somebody who's utilizing either email marketing or any of these aspects, um, they're going to be more, um, realistically capable of 
producing results faster. Mm-hmm. And, and, and there's always caveats to that. But I mean, in general, if they know something, they're going to understand the intricacies. They understand it from a user's perspective. They understand how to like, you know, avoid being annoying or to be effective and how to like actually be impressionable upon people. So I would definitely look at, you know, what you have experience internally using as a, as a tiebreaker. Um, in, yeah, in that's a great point. Um, yeah, because there's, there's so many places that you know, they have decided that they want to run TikTok ads and they've never watched a TikTok video. And so <laughs> the commercials look nothing like a native video would that someone would create on TikTok and they stick out like a sore thumb. And it's very obvious that they're not familiar with the platform. Yeah. Um, that's been the other thing that I've been educating a lot on in 2020 actually is uh, making ads specifically for Instagram stories because when you run them in Facebook, they just auto put, they kind of like retrofit your creative to just run in stories and it looks terrible. It does not look good. So that's been the other piece too, to your point is if it's a, if it's a platform you're not familiar with, you need to use it for a while first. So you truly understand what it's like to be a user on there because it's so easy to just kind of arrogantly think, oh, I'll just create an ad and slap it up there. But users are so savvy now and so much of the content these days is user generated that if you don't do something that fits in a little bit, people just automatically know it's a commercial and they swipe on by. Yeah. And I I cannot emphasize that, that last bit you had there enough that like you really need to understand the audience, like especially when it comes to social. I don't know why. I do know why. It's a long story, but it's unfortunate that people kind of use social as like more of a channel, a traffic generating channel for yes. their website, right? Yeah. And that's because when social came out, everybody said, this isn't a real thing. It's yeah. just, you know, yeah. a tactic in order to get traffic. And even though it's 10 years plus later, 15 years later, and, you know, they still can't seem to get past that concept. And so, you you know, and I always tell people, it's it's amazing, right? It you is, would spend, yeah. if, you're, if you're in a publishing company, because I used to work with a ton of publishers, right? And, and, and in publishing, like if you're going to run an ad, you're going to go out and get demographics. You're going to find out who the audience is. You're yeah. going to find out how to write to what's the right imagery, what's the right wording. But yet people look at Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, everything. And they're just like, all right, just take whatever ad we have and just like plaster <laughs> so it across true. it. And it's like, <laughs> wait a minute, what? You're, you're going to do that? You're going to spend and, and sometimes spend really big budgets to do yeah. it. And it's like, yeah. really, really? You're not even going to bother to understand. Look, it's been years. There are certain companies that do not need to be on Instagram. I'm sorry, but there's certain companies that are not going to find value. So if you are looking and evaluating where to spend your time, and you're going through this hierarchy of where's my you know audience, right? Where's my demographics that I care about? Um, Where do I have some experience? Does my content actually fit here? Has yep. to be one of those questions. Because if you are forcing content, you're you're setting yourself up for failure right from the start. And you're hoping and praying that somehow you get away with it. Right? And, and it's yeah. just it, it's not an as likely to happen. <laughs> it is an expensive lesson. So I wanted to ask you about some expensive lesson type things. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we talk about kind of how to approach a lot of this, but I think a lot of people learn also from knowing what to avoid doing. So yeah. I wanted to ask you, is there, can you think of maybe a couple kind of general mistakes that people make that can cost them either time or money, um, yeah. you know, when it comes to kind of looking at this as an overall strategy? Yeah. So I think um, one of the examples I, I love to use and, um, you know, I've, I've replicated it several times in different situations, but 
a lot of times with, particularly with e-commerce, um, one of their strongest selling channels is usually email. And once you pay for that email one time, you don't have to keep paying for it. That's kind of the beauty of it. <laughs> so people sometimes look at me funny because I always encourage places as much as possible to stop relying on paid media to get everything done for you. So there was this clothing company uh, that I, I ran their ads for several years. Um, they spent a lot. But what was interesting is that their busy time was not Black Friday, really. Their their peak time was spring, summer. And so, you know, every year on Black Friday, it was kind of this thing where it's like, well, we need to compete, but we really don't earn that much. It's really not our strength. And so one of the things that I had suggested was looking at paid as a lead acquisition tool for them, despite them being e-commerce. So I'm like, instead of trying to just duke it out with, you know, $35 CPMs or whatever it is on, on Black Friday, you have a very engaged email list. So what if you just get people onto there first and then that's your main communication strategy for Black Friday? So what we did is they had this VIP list that they get, you know, the sales ahead of time, they get discounts and all that stuff. So we did a push in October. So, you know, pre-crazy CPMs from the Christmas season starting, we ran ads that were specifically lead gen ads. They were not meant to sell anything. They were not pushing product. It was literally, you know, it was anybody that had shopped with them in like the previous year that they were not already a VIP member. And we just said, you know, sign up today. You will get Black Friday deals a day early. I mean, we just did a very simple promo. And I, I want to say we paid like $3 on something for each lead. And then we, we wrote them to a separate list because we wanted to see the health of it. And they mailed them on, um, you know, the day before because they got the deals on Thanksgiving Day. And they had like a 700% return on spend. Wow. And we, we had them blocked from receiving the, um, the advertising. So we had uploaded the list as a negative, a negative list into Facebook. And it was just crazy because we never would have made that kind of return if we had waited to try and battle battle with them on on Black Friday against all the other clothiers. So it was that's awesome. So you actually net, you actually blocked your competitors from seeing what you were doing. Well, no, we blocked the people that we went that signed up to the VIP list. We basically told them like sign up now, mm -hmm. and then once we got that VIP list done, we uploaded them as a blocked audience. So we didn't pay to run ads to them on Black Friday. Gotcha. We solely relied on the fact that we had their email to get it done for us. So That's we still brilliant. ran ads to people not on that list, but they actually performed their return on spend was like twice as much as people that we you know, on Black Friday and, and just because of the cost. I mean, that, we paid that, nothing to get them on the list. Exactly. And that's always, you know, it's the funniest thing about AimClear is that I've always found that like, it's what you guys do at the very edges of your campaigns yeah. that always impress me the most. I mean, for years, I mean, I, I don't know, people know me and Marty are really good friends, right? So, um, you know, for years, I have always loved talking with Marty and with everybody at AimClear about just these random little tiny things that I would have never thought about that have such an impact yeah. On on and the other one that I love the story, the other story, and I, I, I don't know how public the story is, so I'll I'll kind of be elusive to it, but you know, utilizing like Facebook to determine how people would respond to controversies. Yes. Yeah. You know, I don't know how public that is, so I didn't want um, to go too deep into it, but that Marty, was a Marty fascinating. Marty has a good blog post on it when the uh, Kaepernick thing happened with yeah. Nike. Yeah, that's um, what if, I was talking about. You, but I didn't yeah, know if he was Google allowed that blog to post it's it's got super interesting data about 
you know, using that data to kind of see what, were they actually hurting themselves and yeah. how they basically knew it was a calculated risk to do it. I think that's one of the biggest hidden things that I don't think people have really focused on is just how much, how many dollars are going into to figuring out how to influence society. Yeah. Like it just the political, I mean, people know about it now because of Russia and some of that yeah. with paid ads, but you don't under like people, if you knew how much your own government was, you know, advertising oh, and running crazy. and, and picking and choosing based on being able to control kind of how you're going to vote and who's going to vote what and how polls will turn out. Like swaying opinion is such a high dollar amount. Well, um, you see what they're doing on Reddit now. I mean, they're yeah. being completely transparent. Um, they're trying I, to be anyway. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I, I posted that, yeah, I saw that story a couple of weeks ago, but I mean, they're, they're saying how they're targeted, who posted the ad, what's in it. Like they are completely opening up the curtains and not keeping anything secret. So it's kind of interesting because I'm wondering what other platforms are eventually going to feel pressure to follow suit from that. It's interesting that Reddit did it first, just because they're not really known for the political ads as much as like a Google or a Facebook um, so I'm I'm kind of curious. They're not to see as if known, they set a standard. but the thing about Reddit that is interesting is the fact that it really does impact more than hey, people just you know 32 percent of all americans are on reddit every single yep. month right i mean these yep. are there when all of the aggregate when you know i mean you, when you talk about search right and being at the right place at the right time the only site that still has that mentality from the old aggregate kind of forum slash um social sites is reddit Right. Yep. So you don't have an audience like that anywhere else. And, and you're not talking about a bunch of random kids. You know, you're talking about college educated people who are making, you know, yeah. 70,000 plus, you know, I mean, there's there's a really good audience in there and they are shaping the Internet culture. And I, I don't agree. you know, I've got I've gone through and done it on some you know presentations before. I'm like, look, look, crowdfunding. Right. That started on Reddit. You know, yeah. um, all of these memes, all these things you talk about, AMAs, all these things, this all from Reddit. Like Reddit has dictated so much of the the culture that we've come to know, the storytelling that we've come to know today. Um, that, that there's so much political happening there. It's just That's not as to see if other platforms adopt what they do for the very reason. Yeah, that. yeah, but it's yeah. like all the stuff that they've done in the past has caught on elsewhere. Yeah, so that's why I found it super interesting that they were the first ones to do it. Because I'm just because you know Twitter was like we're just not even going to mess with this. There's no political ads on our site. Like they just didn't even bother. So it's interesting to see Reddit go completely the opposite. They're like, yeah, we're totally going to allow it, but you have to you have to like if you run here, you have to disclose everything. So I, yeah. I think it's super interesting as like you know study of two completely different approaches. Um, and then you've got Facebook and Google just kind of somewhere in the middle, still muddling through it. <laughs> yeah, that's very, very, very interesting. Um, it, it, but it also takes me, I'll, I'll diatribe into Reddit for, for hours if you let me. <laughs> um, you know, one last thing to kind of dive back into, you know, uh, you know, paid advertising and that yeah. stuff is that, you know, you're actually going to be joining us on June 2nd. Uh, Search Engine Journal has uh, eSummit, which is going to be a conference we're doing on June 2nd. Um, uh, I think we're at about 4,000 registrants right now or more. I'm not even sure if I'm supposed to say that or not, but nonetheless. Uh, <laughs> it's been it, said. It, it has it, been declared. It's, it's growing fast, and, and we're, we're growing very fast. And so I know that our, our free tickets are almost gone, uh, and that's why I know that number. But you're going to be doing a session there as well. Um, you know, with, I mean, really some of the best speakers I know, right? You know, and, and so I'm super excited to have you on that panel. I mean, it really, truly is a great panel. Um, and so I wanted to ask you... You know, uh, I say panel, it's a great 
collection of, uh, of experts on multiple panels, right? Um, but I wanted to ask you what, um, if you could share a little bit about what you were planning on speaking about when, when you speak that day. Yeah, so um, I'm going to be going a little bit deeper. We touched on it here, but I was um, kind of thinking through how do you, A, follow these audiences? So if we approach media buying as if they buy, great, but I'm also secondarily looking to build remarketing pools. Like that's the main, that's where most of my money is going to go to. Once you get in that mindset, how do you do that effectively? So understanding, you know, how should I be UTM tagging things if I want to use them in other platforms? How should I be thinking about using them in other platforms? How do I want to message these people? So it kind of, I'm going to take you through the nitty gritty of how to set that up and how to think through a strategy so that, especially if you're spending a lot of money driving traffic and you're like, well, only 2% is converting. And if you're not doing anything with that other 98%, I'm going to show you some ways that you should be thinking about it, um, that you can continue to keep that traffic working for you. Very interesting. Well, I'm sure it's going to be uh, super exciting and full of information. I mean, you've always, uh, you know, had really amazing presentations and really come with a lot of uh, (laughs) really strong information. And I'm kind of critical, you know, just because I've been doing this so long. So, uh, but I've always been impressed by... I'm I'm jaded. (laughs) Yeah, right? And so... (laughs) so, Since 2005 now, I'm like, ugh, I feel like the, the lady on the lawn waving her cane and everybody. <laughs> I feel you. Well, look, we talked about a lot of really amazing things and I'm pretty sure that everybody who's listening, that if they're still here at this point after our Reddit diatribe, um, <laughs> I, I, I'm sure people are interested to learn more. I'm sure they're interested in following you. How can people find you online so they can continue to read what you're writing and, and, and you know, contact you if they need to or contact you if they need some help? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I'm a Twitter head. Um, I'm on Twitter all the time. So you can feel free to reach out to me there. I am at Susan E. Dub. Um, I'm on LinkedIn. I update LinkedIn every time I update, you know, any new any new con- content on uh, SEJ. So you can find me over there as well. Um, and then if you need to contact me, you can reach out to me directly at uh, AimClear. I'm Susan at AimClear.com. Beautiful. Susan, thank you so much for joining the show. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. Hey there, I'm not Prince of Taurus. I'm not Danny Goodwin. And I'm not Lauren Baker. That's Greg Finn and Jess Budd, and I'm Christine Zernhaus. If you listen to the Search Engine Journal show, we think you'll love our critically acclaimed SEJ network podcast, Marketing O'Clock. Join us every week as we report the latest SEO, PPC, and social media marketing news. This is a show for real-life marketers who want to do great work. And because we're IRL marketers too, we know you're talking about attribution, schema, and CPCs all day long. So we keep it light with plenty of spicy hot takes puns and rants. Plus, we talk about what's working hard and what's hardly working in our accounts and share what news stories have us saying WTH every week. So if you're ready to become a better marketer, subscribe wherever you consume podcasts and listen to new episodes fresh for you each and every Friday morning. Only on the SEJ Network.